Welcome back to a new week and another episode of Completes. Now on episode four of Completes. Uh, last week we talked about Little Nightmares 1 and 2, and this week we're going to be talking about map density. Now map density, I feel, is something that's extremely important in sandbox games, and some games hit it perfectly, and other games butcher it and just can't seem to understand. <laughs> Having a big map is cool, but if it's empty, it's significantly less cool. Now the two games I'm going to be focusing on for this are games that I beat early in this year, one of which was Immortal Phoenix Rising, a fantastic game, and the other one was Assassin's Creed Odyssey, in my opinion a little less fantastic. Now I do have Assassin's Creed Valhalla on the requested list as well, which will be coming up here soon in the following weeks. We're going to try and beat that one before the end of summer. Probably sometime after the next couple of games is where that one will pop in. Uh, Final Fantasy X is taking a lot of time right now on the channel, uh, but we've also been able to finish Life is Strange, Five Nights at Freddy's. Five Nights at Freddy's 2 will probably finish it up here on Sunday. Uh, we also have Dying Light coming up. It's We've been rolling through the games pretty quick, so it's been fun. But Valhalla, we're hoping, will improve upon a lot of the things that I felt were off with Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Now, the reason why I wanted to bring up these two games in particular was because they're both Ubisoft or Ubisoft. I don't know how to freaking say the damn thing's name. Uh, video games. And Ubisoft games kind of have that notoriety or infamy or whatever you want to say of big game with repetitive kind of things. Uh, a lot of times my friend Hunter uh, refers to it as the Far Cry Syndrome, where Far Cry 3 came out and it was such a good formula that it's now been beaten to death and just used over and over and over and over again uh, in video games now. That is, you get a map, you see some new things that unlock on the map, you go to the areas, you do the things, you clear it up and rinse, repeat over and over. Now with Assassin's Creed, which will be the first one we kind of talk about today, uh, it actually kind of went through a change back with Assassin's Creed Origins, a game I haven't played yet myself, uh, and, and Odyssey was in the new line of Assassin's Creed games where they changed it to have more RPG mechanics, um, such as your weapons do damage instead of just, you know, Ezio running around with a weapon that does, you know, basically an instant kill or whatever. Like, there was damage mechanics in the old ones, but now you hit an enemy and you actually see, like, damage numbers pop up, and it's it took a, a bit of a turn. And from everyone I talked to who enjoy the franchise it's a turn for the better. There have been a few that say that they prefer the old way of how it was, but I'm so behind on the old franchise that I'm probably not the best person to really compare the two of them just yet. Um, when Assassin's Creed first came out, I played through the first one right away and I thought it was a cool concept, but it, there wasn't really much substance to it. But when Assassin's Creed 2 came out, I can remember it was in the middle of summer back in Oberlin, Kansas, and uh, I had borrowed the game from a friend, and I didn't put the game down. I played straight through the night because it had this mechanic where you could find these like hidden sort of like glyphs and puzzles and riddles to unlock like this sort of backstory of these ancient things, and I fell in love. So I beat Assassin's Creed 2, I got Brotherhood on launch, and I got Revelations on launch. Um, and all the Ezio trilogy was fantastic. Now due to my life just taking some changes around the time 3 came out, I didn't play 3 
didn't play four. I missed uh, what would be five, I suppose, which was like Unity and um, the uh, the one that was on the 360 at the same time. I want to say it's Rogue. Yeah, I think it's Rogue. Um, I missed uh, whatever, Syndicate. I, there were so many that came out, and they were coming out constantly that I, I kind of got just this feeling of, I guess it doesn't matter. I'm never going to catch up. Now that I've started playing games on stream and I'm going through them, I feel like maybe there is a chance I can now, and it'll be interesting to see going back what three, especially that's the one I really want to play, uh, did to improve upon the Ezio franchise. I really loved. So fingers crossed, it's something good. But let's kind of get into what happened with Odyssey. Now with Odyssey, you get to choose: do you want to be a guy, want to be a girl, cool, whatever. It lets you get some choices into the game to feel who you are. I went with the female character; uh, her voice just felt more natural. And I feel like the, the dialogue that she said felt more organic. Um, I actually had watched a fellow streamer play some of the male character, uh, Alexios, uh, to go through and do stuff. It felt very pushed. And don't worry, when you choose one character, your other one does get used in the video game as a different character model. Um, without going too much into spoilers right off the bat, I'm going to tell you, hey... We're about to start talking spoilers. So this is your chance. Uh, tune out or turn it off or you know delete your whole phone if you want to. But we're going to talk on some spoilers for this game. So the other character that you don't choose, if you choose the girl and there's the guy, he becomes uh, your brother or sister in the game. And they're the main bad guy. Ooh, spooky. The problem with this game comes down to it is one of the most heavily level gated video games i have played in years level gating meaning i played on hard mode a lot of times i'll play video games on the hardest difficulty or whatever the comparison of it would be unless really all it does is add bullet sponginess some video games are like it's harder because they take more bullets now and that's really the only change in the mechanic this one added a few different other things to it, but you literally couldn't do damage to enemies that were like one or two levels above you. So it forced you to play in a way that you just had to spend way more time in areas that you've already completed to, to level up. And level gating is one of these things where you give me this huge map, right? The map in this game is ginormous. And some of the areas you have to be maxed level really level 50 to really start exploring them completely so it's end game content sure i can get behind end game content but by the time i had played the game for about 15 hours i had basically figured out the loop and the groove to everything anytime i got into a, a skirmish with multiple enemies i was able to get away from it no problem the game became repetitive easy simple it uh it wasn't a challenge at that point, other than the fact that if I ran into an enemy higher level, they literally just wouldn't take enough damage to die. And I would have to spend 30 minutes fighting one guy, like a bounty hunter that came after me just because he was a level higher. And I feel like that's such a shame when the game had strong gameplay mechanics to it, fun abilities you could use. It had this cool kind of like, theme of you know the spartans and leonidas and everything you see you do the spartan kicks or you could do these rage elements with Ares abilities and there was some cool stuff they added in but 
There's nothing you can do more to really isolate your players than to treat them like they're stupid. And the idea of just everywhere I went in Assassin's Creed Odyssey, it was, oh, this character is two levels above me. I guess I'll just come back when I get one level higher. Then I come back and then I can fight him. And it didn't matter if you changed the difficulty. After beating the game, I messed around with it a little bit and I lowered the difficulty to see if I could go fight these higher level characters. You can't. It really does funnel you into a specific path that you have to go through, which is a shame on a game that's trying to be open world. At the same time, there's a lot of empty spaces in this game. There's boat mechanics that you can go from island to island, which is really well done, but a lot of it's just empty places there. And then sometimes you'll go to an island and it just felt... It felt like they were trying to fill a place up in the slowest way possible. Like, let's just put a single goat over here. Let's put like seven more goats over here. Here we'll put a single lion. It just felt strange. And the biggest comparison for it will be because when I played through Mortal Phoenix Rising, the map density was fantastic. Now, story-wise on Assassin's Creed Odyssey, um, you know, they did a really well job on making you see characters that were familiar for the time period, um, which is fun for you to go through and be like, hey, I know that guy from my philosophy class in college, uh, things like that. And the game is gorgeous. I, I really enjoyed playing the game for the views, for uh, a lot of the gameplay and stuff. Like I said, I really just started wanting to be done with the game with when after 15 hours and understanding the core gameplay mechanics, I still just had to grind. Because grinding is one of those things where you really can lose the player in their fun as soon as you're forced into a grinding type of play. If it's something that the player willingly chooses to do, like in Pokemon, hey, I'm gonna level my characters up a bunch right now so I can get to this certain ability so I can go forward. They're choosing to do the grind or endgame content like World of Warcraft, Destiny 2, where people are saying, I really want to go get this weapon. It'll take some grinding, but I can do it. When you're required to grind just to literally get from like point A to point B in the beginning of a game, that changes things. I am very curious to see how Valhalla changes these mechanics instead of making the game feel really inflated. I think that game time is also a weird seller for a lot of publishers now saying that, hey, Cyberpunk is a 108 hour long game. Is it really? And, and there's this weird thing of also if a game's really short, that can be seen as really negative context as well. Um, I talk Titanfall 2 often because I thought Titanfall 2's campaign was like beautifully short and to the point, leaving me wanting more before they could really mess anything up. Um, you know, if, if it's like a perfect pea, like dinner and it's, it's not a lot of food, but it tastes fantastic, you'll be wanting more still. And that's good. If it's just like a tub of mashed potatoes with nothing, like no gravy, no nothing. And it's, you have to eat the whole tub. That's a different experience. Weird analogies. I know it's uh, it's early morning and I'm, I'm apparently I'm hungry. Would I tell people to play Assassin's Creed Odyssey? I would say yes. You go try the game out, play it, see if you like it. Um, honestly, the, the downside I would say to the game is they have a lot of microtransactions added into it as well. 
Um, if you're trying to constantly upgrade your armor or anything, they really push like a microtransaction type thing. There's even just microtransactions of level your characters up faster. Here's actual materials. Here's the really cool armor. Here's a really strong sword. And so you can technically start this game and like max your character out super fast if you're willing to pay money. And I feel like it gives developers such an easy thing to just lean on when they do that. Because they can be like, hey, this is really hard, but I guess they can just buy it if they can't get past this. That works. But even then, I'm, I, I figure if I had a really strong sword, I bet the level gating would still make it to where... Because they must have had a slider on the enemies where if they were two levels higher than you, they only took 10% of your normal 100% damage. It was miserable. But the beauty in the game, the the organic nature of discovering things, the way that walking through the classic Greek cities felt, and just something about the franchise made it to where it was still fun. But it's one of those games that, do I ever want to play through it again to deal with that? I don't think so. Part of me wants to play the game to see the rest of the stuff, but I don't want to spend 30 or 40 hours doing mundane tasks. You know, if all these quests were fun and stuff, leading me to leveling up, then sure, but so many of them are like, please go get this item, come back. Please go get this item, come back. It's like they try to add MMO mechanics without actually being a fun MMO. <laughs> and it's just a single player game, so. Sad Screed Odyssey was a weird one as opposed to, and spoilers will ensue, Immortal Phoenix Rising. Immortal Phoenix Rising gets uh, a lot of guff from people because it looks like they try to take Assassin's Creed Odyssey and put it into Breath of the Wild world. And although, yeah, I can see that same thing people say with like uh, Jensen Impact or Genshin Impact, either way, that one, it, it's just people see this art style and they go Breath of the Wild. You know, it, it, it's a comparison that people did back when Doom was out and people would call things Doom likes or Doom this or, you know, whatever. And then eventually they're like, let's just call these all first person shooters. Maybe eventually the art style of Breath of the Wild and these other games will take on their own sort of genre, if you will. I hope they don't call them like Breath likes. I'm sick of the, the roguelike, Breath like, whatever franchise, but either way. Now, Immortal Phoenix Rising opens up. Your character you get to make how they look you get to decide that you can change it during the game even so character customization right off the bat i'm a fan of that so i can actually say this is my character here's how they're gonna say sound and you have a lot of the dialogue in the game narrated through the the view of two different gods one of which being zeus and the other one i want to say it was prometheus i played this in january so i think prometheus is considered a god was he a titan Either way, you tell me in chat. Tell me You can yell at me in, in uh, Twitch or something if I get this wrong. So they're talking and their dialogue back and forth. And generally, the dialogue in this game had me laughing out loud so many times during playthrough. So the writing of this game right off the bat was really well done. And if you can do good writing in a video game already, you have a leg up on so many games that have that bland, dry, you are a hero, here is sword, go save person. When it's fun to listen to the characters talk, it's fun to get to the next area. And the areas in this world were so well 
organically put together. Whether it's Aphrodite's area, which is lush and fun and beautiful with you know vibrant life, or you're over there with Hephaestus, which is a forge world, or in Aries where it's war-torn, or Aphrodite where it's law and order, and there's this just feeling that you can immediately tell when you go from one area to the next. And there's zero level gating. If I wanted to rush to the end of the game like as fast as possible, I can essentially go fight the end game level bosses or enemies right off the bat. I won't be able to do a whole lot of damage to them right away because my items will be weak, but I can defeat them, I can go fight them. It's not that same thing where we were finding an Odyssey where it was literally impossible to like kill or hurt certain enemies. I can still fight the big ones off. Um, in fact, a lot of the enemies, like let's take the Cyclops for instance, just is the same like type of enemy in Endgame, just has different, you know, he has a few different move sets, he has a different color set, there's harpies, there's warriors, there's all these things. And it just was nice that no matter where I went, I could recognize the enemy and know, okay, they might have a few new tricks up their sleeve, but I can deal with that and adjust accordingly. And your abilities you get in the game are fun. I used, and I mean, honestly, I spammed the ability that you get from uh, Ares where you like jump up into the air because um, then I could like juggle an enemy that way. Uh, you get a bunch of little sort of Final Fan, or not, sorry, Final Fantasy, um, you get a bunch of abilities that are reminiscent of Breath of the Wild for sure, like a Magnesis type of thing. And when you solve these puzzles, which are parts of Tartarus, and even if there was kind of the comparison to these other games in the genre, I didn't care one bit. It felt like it was its own thing, even with having stuff in relationship to another. Um, it really was able to pull me into, like I said, every time I went to a new world, the enemies and the god in the area that I had to save was able to make me smile and laugh. Because the gods lost essentially what made them a god. So Ares was brought down to a chicken and like Aphrodite lost all sort of her self-beauty and she's like, I'm a tree and I'm for the people. And it was just really interesting to see the way they changed things. Uh, there's a great ending to this game, which I won't spoil to you exactly because I think it's really fun to find it out for yourself. And I, I really push people to play this game. As soon as I beat it, I started another playthrough of it. A lot of times I don't do that for video games. And I, I jumped on it. Even talking about it right now makes me want to go play the game again. And that is such a good trait to have in a video game. And what was it that this game, that are both from the same type of developers with producers with Ubisoft and everything, what was different? And that brings me to the original thing saying map density. I always had something to do and have fun with in Immortal Phoenix Rising. I could walk 10 feet and find something, whether it's a shard to increase my health or it's a little time trial or it's some enemies. I always had something nearby. And there's a gliding mechanic in this one as well, much like how you would have your uh, glider in uh, Breath of the Wild, but you actually like sprout wings and you can glide with your wings. And it just, I always was doing something. And near the end of the game when I was like, okay, let's finish it, see what the story finishes like, and then go from there. I was actually skipping stuff that I was like, I wanna see this later, but I wanna finish the game. I wanna know what happens, I wanna know what happens. And that's such a good thing for a game to have, to be like, okay, I have to skip this. I wanna come back, I wanna see, but I'm gonna skip it for now. 
because it means that the content is willingly being passed up and has it to where I want to go and do it again later. Not like how I said for the endgame content on Odyssey, where I was just like, I, I don't want to do this. I beat that game at like level 36, and I had no desire to get to level 50. Um, and I was told that you can actually get to level 50, and then you still can level up like another 50 levels. I beat, I mean, that game was like 34 hours for me to complete. And I was, I was, it, either way. Now, in this one, when you explore, you can find different items, different tools. Um, if you get the same set of like a helmet and a chess piece or whatever, you can get matching bonuses. There's also an amazing transmog system that you get right away. So you can have your character look however you want to. And letting your character really be an expression of yourself is, is fantastic to me. For some reason, the transmog system in Odyssey was locked behind being like level 10 or something. It was, I couldn't do it right away. And I couldn't remember the exact reason why at this point, having beaten that game back in February. But it was so strange that I had to wait to do that. And it's such a, a simple thing that it doesn't affect any actual gameplay, it's aesthetics. So why lock it behind an ability or an upgrade? So immediately in this one, you're able to do it. And I think that's the best way to do it. I would love to see more transmog systems in RPG type games. There's nothing worse than finding a really cool item and it looks horrible on your character. <laughs> and the memes and everything are fun. And, you know, growing up, I, I get it. You had to just have a weird character at times. Or, you know, like in Dark Souls, sometimes you have the character who is wearing the ridiculous headpiece and literally nothing else so he can still roll. In certain cases, I think just keep it as it is. From Software is doing fantastic with their own stuff and nothing needs to change there. But in a game like this, absolutely. The transmog system, just, it was fantastic. And the map density goes into um, a game coming up soon. I'm gonna be playing through Grand Theft Auto V's main story. And I was talking to people about Grand Theft Auto and they say stuff like the north side of the map is boring. And I kind of looked that up briefly and it turns out the huge chunk of the map is just like nothing, like empty, like almost grassland, which is good for certain like multiplayer aspects of having an empty space, but otherwise there's just nothing there. And it kind of goes into like those big city games like Spider-Man, where Spider-Man's really cool, but you really can't go in any of the buildings. And a lot of the buildings, you know, just look kind of the same, but the fun of Spider-Man, this is the new one, of course, like on PS4, PS5, is you, you swing around, so you don't care. It looks pretty, but it's also just not very dense with things. And that kind of made me sad. Spider-Man on the PS4 is another one I can get into at some point, but the map density in that as well was really slim. Um, you know, you might find like a backpack, which was like a little sort of knickknack collectibles you could do, but there just wasn't much to do around that world either. And so I really want to see in the future, oh, and God, Ghost of Tsushima. Don't even get me started on the map density on Ghost of Tsushima. I'll be here all day. But I really want to see the developers of these games take to heart what something like this game did. And honestly, Breath of the Wild 2 also could learn a lot from this. Because Breath of the Wild 1 has some of that empty map syndrome where there's just nothing at all for long areas. Except for maybe like you can find a Korok seed, but that's it. I mean, I've actually had to like really, really try and hunt down Lynels in that game to find a single Lionel 
And some people are like, oh, you can, you know, loop their farm. And I think it just it would be nice if they were organically spawning and the world felt more, you know, uh, had more creatures and stuff in it. And that's one of those things that, like I said, a lot of developers should be able to learn from Immortal Phoenix Rising and take to heart that it makes the game fun when there's always something to do. I giving me the choice of the player to say, I don't want to do that, but maybe I'll come back to it is better than just, hey, there's nothing here. <laughs> so either way, that's the tutorials here. As you can tell from the talk, I would suggest both the games. Uh, if I had to give them like ratings of any sort, like, you know, the Odyssey would probably fall in like at a six or a seven uh, at the moment. And I know it's some of my, my friend's favorite game of all time who has spent hundreds of hours into it. And I think those same people probably love games like RuneScape. Not, not trashing RuneScape here, but it's kind of the thing of just, you like doing just, you know, the same thing over and over. And that's fine. Same friends also like, uh, not Assassin's Creed, but I was saying AC, um, Animal Crossing, same thing. Uh, you like the repetition in the movements and that's, that's perfectly fine. But if you wanna have a genuine fun experience for about, you know, 20, 30 hours, try Immortal Phoenix Rising. I seriously can't praise the game high enough. I got it on sale at 30 and back in December and I would have paid full price for this game in a heartbeat having if I knew what I knew now about it. So give it a try. See what you think. Let me know in the stream like usual. Now next week, we're gonna be talking about Life is Strange, which was a unique play experience to say the least for me. And another game, which I'll save up for you just so you can tune in and find out what it is then. But I really enjoy these talks. I really enjoy doing these podcasts with uh, you guys to listen, uh, even if it's just one or two of you guys listening to it, I appreciate it so much for the feedback that you guys give me. And if it gives you even one game that you say, you know what, I wanna try this out, and it gives you to smile, it's 100% worth it for me as a podcaster to try and get this to you. So thank you again. I appreciate the time that you spent with me here today. Uh, again, if you wanna support me in any way, just stop by the stream. That's S-H-A-N-E-C-U-S over on Twitch. You can do whatever you want there. If you have Prime on Amazon, you can sub for free, drop a follow. We're also on Instagram and Twitter, but really we just do everything on Twitch and enjoy trying to grow that as it is. So tell your friends, tell your family, and uh, yeah, let me know what you guys think. Until next week, my name is Shane, and have a nice day.